Hello to our listeners. Welcome to the Women Governance Trailblazers podcast, where we listen to the journeys of trailblazing women in the corporate governance field, their passions, struggles, and commitment to improving how companies and boards function. My name is Liz Dunchy, and my co-host is Courtney Camlet. Hi, everyone. Courtney and I are both passionate about governance, and we want to spotlight some of the amazing women who share that passion. We're connecting with guests from different paths and industries to hear their perspectives on what surprised them in their career and where they think the field of corporate governance is going. For this episode, we are talking with Sarah Fort, who is co-chair of Latham & Watkins Environmental, Social, and Governance Practice Group. She helps clients navigate risk and opportunities related to ESG and cultural matters. Welcome, Sarah. Thanks so much. It's great to be with you. It's great to have you with us. You are a passionate advocate for ESG. Tell us about your latest role as co-chair of Latham & Watkins ESG practice, why you joined the firm, and what you have planned for the practice. Thanks so much, Courtney. So as you know, at the end of January, I had the honor of joining two of the most well-known attorneys in the ESG space, Paul Davies and Petty Hoover, on the Latham & Watkins platform to co-lead the firm's global ESG efforts. This role is really about providing our clients with end-to-end white glove ESG service, including with respect to their ESG strategy, ESG risk analysis, disclosure, integration of ESG efforts, and of course, ESG activism and litigation. Uh, and also with respect to the subcategories of ESG, uh, including but by no means limited to climate change, human rights, and diversity, and corporate culture. I would be remiss if I didn't mention that we're having this conversation the day after the SEC just proposed absolutely massive climate change disclosure regulation. Uh, And as significant and unprecedented as this development is, it's just one example of how vital it has become for many organizations to have outside expertise in the various areas of ESG. And the amazing thing is we're really still at the beginning of this journey. For me, joining Latham was absolutely the most logical next step in my career. I want to be the best at what I do. I want to bring my experience, my expertise, and my passion to bear on solving the highly complex and global issues that ESG highlights, and Latham has an unparalleled platform for accomplishing that. In my opinion, no other firm has the global perspective, uh, the depth of expertise, and the excellence across all of the core underlying areas of the ESG uh, in the way that Latham does. Uh, So for me, when I received Latham's call at the end of uh, June of last year, for me, um, it was absolutely just one of those providential moments in your career. Uh, And I couldn't wait to begin this journey uh, with so many phenomenal colleagues here. Yeah, it's definitely a powerhouse team that Latham has assembled there. So it's been um, very impressive to watch that come together. And I'm very excited to see where that practice goes as well for you all. 
It is really exciting uh, to be here, um, to get to work with the folks that I work with every day. It's challenging in the sense that, you know, they say when you, if you want to be the best, work with the best. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, it's definitely, it challenges me uh, on days, but it's just, it's absolutely for me where I feel like I should be um, yeah. and, and absolutely what I want to spend my life work doing. Fantastic. Well, you mentioned the SEC's climate disclosure proposal and how that is unprecedented. And um, the whole ESG movement has really um, taken everyone and all companies by storm the last few years. But has there been um, anything related to that or anything else that has surprised you in particular as you've progressed in your career? Such a good question. So I can, I'll can i talk a little bit about the regulations first. I think one of the things that did surprise me was just how prescriptive and detailed the rule is. Mm-hmm. I think that's going to take a lot of consideration for companies and their counsel as they're thinking about if the rules are adopted in this form, what implementation looks like. Uh, I think there are some details in the rules that I think are worthy of commenting, and I always encourage uh, folks that are part of the conversation to maintain their seat at the table in in talking about ESG. Let's have a robust conversation uh, so that we have the best result possible. I think in my own career, I I have been surprised. Um, I have been surprised more than once. I think what probably surprises me um, the most often is just how much fun I have in the work that I get to do um, and in the people I get to do it with. I think uh, I have moments of uh, pure joy, um, absolutely, uh, in my work, and uh, I know that not everyone can say that, um, and so I feel really lucky to to be able to do the type of work that I do. I think I've also been surprised, and, I'm, uh, you know, maybe we share this, all of us that are experienced corporate governance professionals, how quickly it goes. Uh, you know, I, I just can't believe how quickly um, this first stage of my career has flown by. Yeah. I'd also say that um, just the last item that has surprised me is really the, what I would say, the friendships that you forge in the fire. <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Uh, a couple of months ago, I was lucky to be on a team. It was the first time this had happened in my career, Liz. I was on a team with, uh, for a client where the entire team, it, it just happened uh, to be all women. Hmm. Uh, and that was, I, first of all, I, the fact that it was the first time it had ever happened in my career um, is perhaps a little telling about the work that still needs to be done in our industry but I, I will have those friendships for life, absolutely. Uh, not only were we able to deliver just a fantastic result for our client um, across many different areas of practice. It was I did a team of about 12 in total. But the fact that we all had that in common, an understanding of where we were in the history of our own profession uh, was really, really profound for me. Yeah. Wow. That's very cool. Yeah, it is. It is really amazing what you learn and do when you're in the trenches with people will forever form great connections. And this industry is constantly changing. So you're incredibly active in the ESG space, including 
serving on the advisory board for practicalesg.com and regularly authoring articles on ESG-related topics for leading publications. Where do you think companies have done well and where are the areas for greatest improvement? Another great question. So there's such a range in ESG still, right? I mean, we are, uh, like I said, we're at the beginning of this journey in many ways. Uh, We're in different places in the beginning of the journey uh, when you look across the globe and different jurisdictions. Uh, But the reality is we're still dealing with globally a patchwork of rules and regulations, proposed rules and regulations, soft law, investor and stakeholder engagement. Uh, And so I think that's producing just very different results for different companies based on their industry, the jurisdictions in which they do business, how long they've been in business, and how, how they are held. But I think overall, when I look at the arc of my own career, I would say I, I do believe that companies have been and are growing increasingly more responsive to stakeholder engagement and are really actively thinking about their issue, the issues that stakeholders care about and bring to their attention. I think, you know, when you think about before, say on pay even, right, um, the level of engagement that you saw with stakeholders was a lot less than it is today. I think there's just far more robust conversation uh, in the corporate governance space and in the ESG space, and I think that's to the benefit of the practice. In terms of areas of improvement, I really think that ESG as a tool uh, is designed to help us think creatively about risk and opportunity, understanding what it means to actually integrate risks and opportunities in a complex way in an organization. This may be, I, I might say that this is an area of improvement, but quite frankly, I think the reality is it's really hard to do. Uh, and I think what we see now is companies wrestling with uh, how to do that in the best way, and then also how to reflect that in the corporate culture of their organization. Now, a big part of ESG, we, we tend to focus, I think, on doing the right thing. But honestly, ESG is also very, very often about doing a hard thing in the right way. That's really well put. And- you know, from my experience, and I've been in-house for quite a while, a number of years, we didn't really talk with investors about ESG so much until, you know, maybe five years ago, and now it's definitely ramped up. So it tracks exactly with how you're describing it. Yeah, yeah. Sarah's guest post on Practical ESG, which talks about the dozen ESG disclosure errors that companies should stop making today. That's been one of our most popular posts ever on that blog. So um, I think companies are really hungry for that information. And it does demonstrate how a lot of companies are getting to that next level where they're looking at that now. That makes a lot of sense. And, you know, I will tell you, uh, I have quite the backlog of articles uh, I'll be pushing out hopefully over the next couple of months, but one of the areas that I, I plan to speak into, which I think is absolutely right for robust discussion, uh, is the area of ESG ma- uh, materiality. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot to be said there, particularly after the release of the SEC's proposed climate change regulations. 
So funny you mentioned that. I would love to get your early thoughts on the proposed regulations that came out yesterday. <laughs> well, I, I, I'm happy to give you some of the things that I think uh, surprised me a little bit and some of the things that I'm going to be doing some bigger, some, some bigger um, digging into uh, over, over the next couple of weeks. So one, I would say um, the, the way in which the SEC is thinking about materiality and greenhouse gas emission disclosure is fascinating to me. And I want to do some more thinking about what that looks like under the what I would call the big M uh, materiality regime, so the federal securities law definition of materiality. You know, there one of the things that I talk about um, with clients is the different lenses uh, and different definitions of materiality. And, and I list five specifically, so one being big M materiality, the, the definition as defined by the Supreme Court. Um, but then there's also, you know, materiality, the definitions used under other frameworks and standards and guidelines, including like TCFD and the like. Uh, there are the items that uh, the company itself believes are important, not necessarily big M material, but important for it to speak into for branding purposes or for positioning purposes. Uh, there are the items that are of specific interest to particular investors. Uh, and then, of course, overarching, it's kind of where is the definition and the concept of materiality moving overall. From my perspective, it's just very interesting how the, uh, the commission has drawn greenhouse gas emission disclosure into the big M uh, materiality framework in a way. I'll be doing some deeper thinking about that um, and, and maybe some writing on it as well. I, I also think just the level of detail in the rule from my perspective is really fascinating. Uh, you know, I, I said to a, a colleague of mine uh, just yesterday, you know, the laundry lists have laundry lists in this rule. Um, so I think, I think there's a lot to be thought about there. Um, and really, again, like turned over in our minds um, to think what is the best approach. Um, and I think overall, just the direction in which all of this is headed in the context of other movements happening in the space uh, and of, of other SEC developments. You know, one of the things that I'll be looking at closely is how this, this rule, um, to the extent that it's adopted as is or with changes, interacts with the rules, similar rules in other jurisdictions, mm -hmm. as well as other ESG-related uh, disclosure uh, requirements. Yeah, it'll be fascinating to see how it all plays out and, and what comments come in and how it's challenged, because it does sound like it will be challenged in court as well. So um, definitely a lot to come on that proposal, and it'll be fascinating for all of us to watch. Yes, uh, yeah, we are, we are at the beginning of a long story. Yes, yes. So what advice would you give to our listeners about building your career, serving as a mentor, and being a trusted advisor to clients? Wow. So there's a, there's a lot there to unpack. <laughs> uh, I think where I would start is uh, I really do think it's important to be the person that you want to be able to trust and confide in. 
to be to be kind of your the own the example that you you yourself will follow. Yeah, uh, I think is really important. I've been pretty open about the fact that very early on in my career, um, uh, when I first started practicing, actually I was at a different law firm. Um, I I experienced pretty um, pretty horrific. Uh, race-based harassment um, wow. in the form of, like, like racist text messages sent to my personal phone. Oh, my gosh. Wow. I'm so sorry. Uh, it, it, was, it was a lot to experience, particularly at that early stage of my career. But in many ways, I think the person I am now is that I try to be someone that that person could come to. You know, I try to be... Um, a person who, as I walk into a space, equality breaks out behind me. You know, yeah. that's really the goal. And you know, there's still there is work to be done still in the profession. I think, you know, for that reason exactly, it's so important for all of us as women across race, across across ethnicity, um, as well as with respect to our LGBTQ plus women, to listen to each other. You know, to listen to each other and to affirm each other in the space, I think, is absolutely vital to the continued growth and development of our practice. I think understanding that people that don't have power today um, may have all the power tomorrow, um, you know, and it can't be predicted entirely is really core. I, I try to be someone that, you know, any one can reach out to regardless of whether they're at the firm that I'm at or they practice at another law firm, they practice at a company, um, you know, however their career looks, I want there to be those points of connection um, and real um, humanity between us as attorneys. You know, practicing law, um, it can be stressful. I think we all acknowledge that. I think all the more reason uh, for us to uh, show the, the character that we have developed as a character that is one that others can trust and confide in. Wow. Absolutely. Yes, yes. And um, that definitely improves the overall community. And I know I appreciate um, the openness that you've had to questions and to participating in things and sharing your views um, on such a broad spectrum of issues. And so um, you are definitely making a difference. And your willingness in general to connect. Yes. I think that's great. Well, thank you. I, I think, you know, one of the things that I've always appreciated, Liz, is really seeing how you support. And uh, this is a family that you have created uh, in, in corporate governance. Uh, and I love that. I love being a corporate governance attorney, not just because I'm a disclosure geek, um, <laughs> but also really because of the colleagues in the space. Uh, it's just it's phenomenal yeah. to have had the opportunity to grow up in it. Yeah. And to keep growing. It's great to see what everybody's done, what they're doing, and where they're going, and to be able to keep everybody in communication and be tracking with all of that. Absolutely. Absolutely. What do you think women in the corporate governance field can add to the current conversation on the societal role of companies? Wow. <laughs> Just so we're going to we're going to have a small question to end with. Um, <laughs> we like to go out with a bang, you know. 
<laughs> well, I think as women, we uniquely understand that the status quo is not free of subjective perspectives that build out into concrete realities. We know that decisions that are made about what to value, who to reward and who not to, what to measure even, these decisions don't happen in a vacuum. They take place in a very real and very human context uh, in which we are making subjective determinations. So for that reason, I think we're uniquely positioned to think creatively about risk and opportunity and corporate governance and leadership. I think we can look around corners because, in part, we have had to during the course of our careers. Uh, and that means that in an increasingly uncertain world that we're living in, as women, we have the ability to provide counsel to our clients that doesn't just address the status quo, but the world as it will look tomorrow. Wow, absolutely. Forward thinking, as always. Yeah, thank you so much for joining on joining us on the podcast, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, it's been a real treat. I've been looking forward to it. And thanks to all of our listeners for joining us for this episode of Women Governance Trailblazers. Please subscribe on whatever platform you use for podcasts, and we would love if you would rate us while you're there. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks.